Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Romans. Now, as we start our journey through the book of Romans today, we are all going to see the transpira- transpiration. Let me, let me just like slow down and listen to this. We are all going to see a major work of the Holy Spirit take place in our lives personally and in our church collectively. Now, just mark my words on day one today. See, we are presented again at this time in 2015, where we are right now, it has been offered, as even, even as it's been offered throughout church history, an invitation to embrace the cultural practices of our day and our society as being acceptable and exalt the idea that man is just innately good as opposed to being innately sinful. Donald Barnhouse, a tremendous man of God and pastor and commentator and author, he wrote this, and I quote, he says, I am convinced that the ministry which which seeks to exalt mankind can, in the end, do no good for mankind. On the contrary, the ministry which will reach the truths of man's complete ruin in sin and God's perfect remedy in Christ can best reach the heart of the need of the human race and can bring the only remedy that can heal the heart which God has declared to be humanly incurable. End of quote. The book of Romans, as we open this, as we give an introduction today, will completely, to use some modern day vernacular, rock your world. Completely rock your world. For it will give us the most complete diagnosis of the plague of man's sin. I don't know if you've noticed this, but mankind and sin are so entangled. So entangled. We're born in it. We're brought up in it. We die in it. We're slaves to it. Sin is stronger than we are. Sin is as wide as the world. It's as old as the human race. And it's as deep as the human heart. As it says in Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Maybe some of us, if not all of us, have cried out, if I could only be free from sin. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm so exhausted because of this area in my life or because I keep failing in this particular point. I can't do it. And we've all come to find out that making resolutions won't do it. Doing good deeds can't do it. And unless there is found a cure for my sin, it will bring me, it will bring us death. Paul will cry out in Romans 7 verses 24 and 25. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is Paul the Apostle saying that. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He cries out, and we'll get there later on in chapter 7, where he has the same feelings that we have. Who will deliver me from this wretched state that I am in? But not only will the book of Romans give us a complete diagnosis of sin, it will also prescribe the most complete cure 
of justification by faith in Jesus Christ apart from any works that you can do. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But the just shall live by his faith. By his faith. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but a lot of our, if not all of our universities, were based upon the Bible. You look at Princeton, you look at Harvard, you look at Yale, Bible schools. That's how they started and how far they have gone. I came across this quote from a former president of the University of Princeton. His name was Francis L. Patton, and he said this, listen to this. This was actually, he was president from 1888 to 1902. He says, the only hope in Christianity is the rehabilitating of the Paul, the rehabilitating of the Pauline theology. He says, it is back, back, back to an incarnate Christ and the atoning blood, or it is on, on, on to atheism and despair. End of quote. I mean, have you guys noticed this, that atheists advertise now? They do. Atheists have billboards. Atheists have signs on buses. Atheists do sponsored posts on social media. And with the rise of what is called new atheism and the increase of despair in our world today, I say that it is time that we go back to the death of Jesus on the cross and what it means for us who have faith in Him. Forgiveness of sins. Revolutionary things happen in our lives because we're no longer working and of trying to earn our way to heaven, but rather we have received through faith in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. I'm particularly excited because our church, this is a very, very special day for our church because throughout church history, church revivals have been associated with the study of the book of Romans, which is really, really cool. Martin Luther wrote, he said this, and I quote, the epistle to the Romans is the true masterpiece of the New Testament. And the very purest gospel, which is well worth and deserving that a Christian man should not only learn it by heart, word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as the daily bread of men's souls. It can never be too much or too well read or studied. And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. End of quote. Historically, the book of Romans has been considered one of the most influential books of the Bible. Listen to this. Augustine, church father, was converted upon reading Romans chapter 13, verse 13. The Protestant Reformation began with Luther reading, The just shall live by faith. John Wesley, remember him, the famous preacher, was assured of his salvation because he heard somebody reading the preface to Luther's commentary on Romans. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, became a changed man as he read the book of Romans while in jail. This is crazy. And so the theme verse for the book of Romans is found in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 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 So when the world's religions are telling you and telling me that we have to be a good enough person to get to heaven, 
you got to earn your way and you have to be a member on this a member in this church and go on this missions trip and say these prayers and do all of these things. You realize I can never do all those things perfectly. The book of Romans is a complete, comprehensive study. This book, this letter is a com- complete, comprehensive look at, at what's happening in the world even today and how we can be free in Jesus and how we can have forgiveness of sins and assurance of salvation. And so this letter was written to the church in Rome. Uh, many don't believe, uh, well, actually people believe that, and I think it's very justifiable because Paul had never been to Rome, uh, that he didn't plant the church there. Many think that it was from the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts where there were people visiting from Rome, it says, and they heard, you know, the the disciples speaking in tongues and proclaiming the goodness of God that they may have started the church in Rome. But whatever the case may be, he wrote this letter to the church in Rome and it was really written and sent to pave his way for his first visit. And this book is full of the power and grace of God. And so let's begin in verse 1, Romans 1. We're going to be looking at one verse this morning, and we're going to be looking at three things. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Verse 1. Have you ever been in a meeting or conducted an interview, or maybe you were the one being interviewed where somebody sits down and they have their clipboard or their, their portfolio kind of thing or their notepad or whatever, and they're like, so, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Has anybody ever been in a situation like that? And then, and then most of the time it's just kind of awkward silence where it's like, uh, well, <laughs> like, what do you want to know? You know, like that kind of thing. Paul is going to be giving an introduction to this church in Rome of who he is who he is. And that's why we're going to look at three things this morning of what Paul says about himself as he introduces himself to the Roman Christians. The very first thing that we're going to look at this morning is this phrase, bondservant of Jesus Christ. A bondservant. Now, at the time that this was written, Romans would have been very extremely familiar with slavery. According to historians, they have stated that at least 33%, if not up to 50% of the city of Rome were slaves. So they would understand exactly that culture. Now, the law of Moses, as the Lord gave an economic system and guidelines for uh, the people of Israel, uh, slavery and being enslaved was something that, that was actually under the law of Moses. This is separate from the Romans that we're talking about now. They could have been conquered like a foreign land that got conquered and they enslaved you. For the Jews, if you were behind in your bills and you couldn't pay your rent or couldn't pay the things that you owed, there was a way for you to pay that by selling yourself basically into slavery, uh, into servitude. Uh, you know, I will pay back my debt. I will work it off. And so there was a seven-year period of time where a Jewish man could work off his debt. But the way that it worked was he would work for six years. And then at the seventh year, the law of Moses stated and God instituted this, that the man that has been working off of his debt would have again the opportunity to be set free. They would be able to be their own master once more. 
However, if the slave recognized that he was well taken care of with food and clothing, and he's like, man, I didn't even have that kind of food and clothing because I had no money to buy anything. I was so in debt. You know, and that kind of a thing. If he recognized that his master was kind and took care of him, uh, he could decide at that seventh year mark to remain a slave in his master's house. Now, granted, there were those slaves, no doubt, that couldn't wait to get away from that particular master that they were paying off their debt to, but others had a very kind master. And they would decide at that seventh year, you know what, I am well taken care of here, and I want to be in this household. I have a roof over my head. I have food. I have a place to sleep. I'm taken care of. It's safe here. I want to continue serving here. And what they would do is they would become a slave by choice. And in order to signify this decision, they'd be taken down to the temple and next to a doorpost or a door, a door they're taken all and then drive it through the ear and place a ring on that servant's ear. He was now known as a bond slave. He could have been free, but he chose to remain under the control of his kind master. And wherever he walked, that gold ring in his ear, Really what that ring was, was something that proclaimed the character of his master. For somebody to say, I will willfully choose to serve this person, meant that that person must be an amazing man. So what a contrast where Paul, it says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ to our way down, way, way, way back, Adam and Eve, you know, our our parents of long, long ago who sought to be free from the laws of God. And thus enslaved all mankind into millions of different sins. Paul basically is saying here in Romans 1 verse 1. That his spiritual debt was more than he could ever repay. And because of the kindness of his master. He became a slave by choice to God. A bondservant. This word bondservant. Relinquishing Paul would say. Relinquishing his own right to be his own master. For he realized that God provided for him far better than he could ever provide for himself. A bondservant of Jesus Christ. A slave by choice. I have decided to follow Jesus. The second thing that we see here, Paul, not only a bondservant of Jesus Christ, it says, called as an apostle. Look at Paul. Some 25 years earlier, okay, on the timeline, you go back 25 years, Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. We studied it in Acts chapter 9. You remember back, it said, and as this light shone, And he heard this voice. Paul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goad. So he, trembling and astonished, Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And here's some quarter of a century later, Paul is still saying the same thing. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? It's a sad thing and... Because it happens, sometimes people will rest on the laurels of their past. But their past experiences have not been translated into their personal relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord back when you were a kid. Or, you know what, I served at church back in 1993, you know, or whatever. Well, okay, well, well, what are you doing now? What's your relationship with Jesus look like now? Well, I was a camp leader back in junior camp and... 
1884, <laughs> all right, great, all right. You know, well, man, longevity runs in your family, whatever it might be. It's like, what are we doing now? What are we doing now? Sometimes like, yeah, you know, I got my ticket punched. I did my thing back then, and then I'm just kind of cruising now. See, Paul says, not only am I a bondservant of Jesus Christ, which means I'm a slave by choice. This is not just a normal slave, somebody that was conquered, somebody that owed a debt. This was somebody by choice. I've decided to follow Jesus Christ. He is my master. He is my Lord. He says, but I'm called to be an apostle. Now, calling is a huge thing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter will write and he'll say, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. It's so important for each of us to know what we're supposed to be doing. More often than not, we're more concerned with what other people are doing and why they're not doing it the way we would think that they should be doing it. And... How come I don't get to do those things and I want to do what they're doing and how come they're not doing what I'm doing? This is all messed up. And too often we'll try to do things that God hasn't called us to do and they usually end disastrously. Because a need doesn't necessarily mean that you're called to do it. Calling is huge. Paul was first and foremost a bond slave of Jesus. And secondly, he was called to be the messenger of the gospel of God. Now, I cannot be you, no matter how hard I try to be. And you cannot be me. You are not replaceable. There is nobody on the face of this earth that can do better than you what God has created you to do. No one. Nobody can fulfill your calling but you. So what we need to get through our heads is that how about I'll do what I'm called to do and you do what you're called to do and then everything will work out just fine. Do what you're called to do. If it would have said here in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be a tent maker, then he'd be doing that. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be a taxi driver, he'd be doing that. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be a 116 hip-hop artist. He'd be doing that. That's the way that it works. Some people think, well, you're a pastor. Your calling's way, way higher than mine. I'm just called to be a mom. Wait a second, that's messed up. That's not the case. You're called to be what God's called you to do. And what you're called to do is the highest calling that you can ever fulfill. Because God calls you, you answer that call, you do it. The place of obedience and the place of being that, that bondservant of Jesus means, Lord, where you call, where you lead, I'm going to hear it and I'm going to go. I'm going to do that. Well, how come he didn't call him to do that? How come he's calling me to do it? And sometimes we even fight with our own calling. We don't want to run from God like Jonah which, by the way, a little plug for house groups starting October 1st, we're going to be doing the book of Jonah, seven-week study on Jonah. So make sure you sign up in the back after service today. We don't want to run from God's calling. I know for me, I ran from God's calling. Maybe you can relate to that. I, I did. Growing up, I had my own dreams and aspirations and things that I thought that I wanted to do and that I wanted to accomplish and where I was going to be where I was going to live and what I was going to own and what my life was going to look like. And I remember being in high school and, and our uh, high school basketball team had won the CIF championship at Ocean View. And 
Uh, we were number one rated in Orange County, and then seven of us on the top seven of our team all got scholarships. We had a great team that year. And uh, this is what young people is commonly re- referred to as the glory days. So if you wonder about what this is all about, you'll be doing this in another 10, 20 years or so. Uh, and I remember my parents, the godly parents that they are, were encouraging me to not go to take that basketball scholarship, but to go to Bible college. And, and particularly my mom, too, um, where she, and you know how moms can be, you know, they believe something, they believe something. And they're going to let you know about it, you know? And uh, she said, don't go to, don't take that college scholarship. Go to, go to Bible college because I really feel that God is calling you to be a pastor. I'm like, like in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, right. I'm not going to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? No way. I got my whole life planned out. I know the next step and I know all the steps after that. And it got to the point, no, no, no. I was talking to my girlfriend's different case, you know, and, and they said they could totally see you being a pastor. And I got angry. I said, don't you ever talk to me again about being a pastor. You ever talk to me again about going to Bible college, which is filled with a bunch of weirdos, and being a pastor, I will never, ever speak to you again as long as I live. And I was angry. And I don't know if it was just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because, I mean, I'm actually here and I'm a pastor now, you know? But... uh, Uh, in my heart, you know, where I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. And so I ended up going to college for four years, and I ended up playing basketball for four years, and then, you know, I ended up having a bunch of uh, career-ending injuries. You know, I I ended up breaking my hip in a game and tore my groin muscle, and I don't know if I've shared that with you. You know, I went from, you know, slam dunking on people to being like every other white guy. And, uh, you know, get a little credit card under there, you know, when you jump, you know, like that kind of thing. And the Lord used that to get my attention. And uh, it's true, you know. And, uh, and it was one of those things where I had run from that for a long time, you know. And so when I finally embraced it, and I was like, Lord, this is what you're calling me to do is where I felt fulfillment. Because it doesn't matter like how much money you make. It doesn't matter, you know, what you own or what your, your socioeconomic status is. If you're not doing what God's called you to do, you're going to feel like there's something more out there. And so whether you're called to be an occupational ministry, which I happen to be, or if you're called to be a grocery clerk or a truck driver or a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, you know, a manager, corporate real estate, a lawyer, a drummer, whatever you're, what you're called to do, do that. But may the foundation be, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and so whatever I do, I do for the glory of my master. And so he says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Not only that, he says, I'm called to be an apostle, which was number two. And then number three, he says, separated to the gospel of God. Now, it's been said that there can be no true work of God in any person who is not separated. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me explain. Though there are more than two types of Christians, let's narrow it down to the common denominator of two types of Christians. Number one, Christian people group number one. They're known for all that they're against, and they go on about all they do not do. Christian people group number two, they're known for holiness, and they speak not of what worldly pleasures they have given up, but rather that they have gained Jesus. Now, we talk about, I need to separate myself from the things of the world. 
And I'm going to have to give up partying. I'm going to have to give up living with my girlfriend. I'm going to have to give up having a foul mouth. And I'm going to have to give up all of these things. Like, I can't do this anymore, and I can't do that anymore. And man, what a drag. You believe this? I have to give up all of this stuff? It's like, this is a real downer. And we'll talk about all the things I have to give up. But see, for the person that comes to Christ and wholeheartedly commits their life to Him and becomes a bondservant, a slave by choice to Jesus, gains Jesus. And the view that they have is that I have gained salvation. I have gained a relationship with God. I have gained victory over sin. I have gained freedom from bondage. I have gained a new mind and a new heart and a new life. I have gained all of these things. And the natural occurrence that will take place for the person that has gained Jesus is there is now then by default a natural separation from the things of the world as opposed to I can't do this and I can't do that like you've been shortchanged because you came to Jesus see the number one Christian people group they make you think that person that their religion is basically comprised of things not to do oh you can't do that or you can't do that I don't want to do those things I've changed The can't do's and can't do's is going to be what we're going to be looking at in the book of Romans where, hey, the law and this and this and this and that and that and that. Wait, wait, no, that's not what it's like. I've been changed and I have been naturally, I've been naturally separated from the things of the world and I have gained Jesus and these things I've counted as lost, like Paul would say. So the number one Christian people group makes you think that That person's religion is comprised of things not to do, but the number two Christian people group has been in the presence of the Lord, and that draws you to Jesus. Because if you're the person that's like, when you're talking to somebody that's not a Christian, and they see you, and they see us as just a bunch of can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that, it's not attractive, When they come to somebody that has been separated unto the gospel as Paul was. By joining Jesus, I am naturally separated from the things of the world. But separating myself from the things of the world doesn't mean that I've joined Jesus. I separate myself from the things of the world that doesn't mean that I have joined Jesus. By joining, let me say this again, by joining Jesus, I am naturally separated from the things of the world But separating myself from the things of the world doesn't mean that I've joined Jesus. Now, I used to do college ministry back in the day. And there were some college students that were considering this verse. Matthew 5.13, where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And they were describing the various functions and qualities of salt for seasoning and preserving and for other uses. And there was this Chinese Christian girl and she said, salt makes you thirsty. You think about that. Salt makes you thirsty. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the, world, of the earth. We're thinking, okay, you know, we hold back, back the rotten decay of, of sin and corruption. We get that. But the salt of the earth, it makes you thirsty. Like, do we make people thirsty for Jesus? You never will. You never will be merely separating unto something. But you will be separating unto Christ separating unto Christ I am a bondservant I have been separated unto the gospel 
because I'm called to be an apostle. So as we start this book, I want you to have this mental picture in your mind because Romans, like I said, not only is it one of the most revolutionary books in the Bible that has transformed people's lives and churches and started crazy movements of revival, it's a very intense book. We'll be dealing with things like the complete diagnosis of the corruption of man, man's sin. But then on, the top, on top of that, as I mentioned already, you'll be given the complete cure for it. Now, jewelers, I remember when I bought my, my wedding ring for, for Ruth, the wedding ring, um, engagement ring, and then the wedding ring. You know, if you've been to a, a jeweler, they'll, they'll lay out like a black velvet or a dark navy velvet uh, to present the jewels or the gems on. And they do this because it makes the gems really, really pop out. Like, man, that diamond, even if it's small, it looks good on that black velvet. You're like, whoa, it's sparkling. Oh, it's a great color. What grade is that? Or whatever it might be. The same is going to apply as, and especially to our early studies through the book of Romans chapters 1 through 3, where Paul is going to lay a very bleak and a very black backdrop upon which to present the gems of the gospel, if you will. We're going to deal with the depravity of man, but it, it's in order for us to understand the sinful state of this world and what a great cure for that sinful state we have through justification, through faith in Jesus. And so, be prepared. Read through the book of Romans every week. You know, try to take you know, a few verses, a chapter, or whatever. You're going to read this, and it is going to be an unbelievable book that's going to change your relationship with God. It's going to give us a greater understanding of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so, mark my words again, September 20th, 2015, as we start the book of Romans, that the Lord is going to do a change in our lives and in our church through the end of this year, and as we continue on, Lord willing, through 2016.